Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. In 2009, I was sitting on a subway. Some of you were on that subway with me. We were going from Brooklyn to Coney Island, which is one of the most disappointments of my life. When you finally get to Coney Island, you're like, oh, it's like a really, really run-down state fair that you're worried about getting hepatitis Z when you're there the whole time. Uh, But while we were sitting on the subway, heading that way, um, I got a notification on my Blackberry Pearl. That kind of shows you. Yeah, the iPhone had just come out a couple years earlier. I was still digging the Blackberry. And CNN dinged me. The king of pop had died. I was sitting on a subway when I heard the news that Michael Jackson had died. I don't know why it hit me so hard. If we're all honest, the Michael Jackson of most of our childhood, he was so far gone by that point. That was not Michael Jackson anymore. And I guess I'm a a redemptive person that my hope that Michael was making a comeback. I wanted to see Michael get back to the Michael of the 1980s and 90s as I remembered him. And, And to make matters worse, a couple months after he died, they released this film called This Is It. And it was a documentary where they were filming him as he was training and preparing himself for this huge comeback tour. And when you watch the documentary, it is the Michael of the moonwalk. It is the Michael of Thriller. It is the Michael of these absurd pitches that he was able to get to. The title, This Is It, it continues to rub me the wrong way though. It suggests that that Michael's work is done and gone. The title suggests that the influence of of Michael Jackson is a thing of the past. The title suggests that the death of Michael is the end of his musical genre. But the reality is that, that Michael was the beneficiary of a revolutionary time in music. He was the beneficiary of being the poster child for that revolution of music. He was influenced by the great artist of his day. He was shaped by these types of people. Uh, The reality is that Michael uh, had countless others that were around him that did not receive credit at that time. Yet we think of Michael and all that is wrapped up in this title, This Is It. I'll be the first to admit um, that I am not the Michael Jackson of pastors. Um, I can't even square dance, like with rhythm. But sometimes when a pastor is transitioning out, there is that sense of feeling of, well, this is it. This is the end of the road. This is where we end as a church. And as I was praying about what to talk about in the last few weeks of my time with you, this phrase kept coming to me. This is not it. This is just the beginning. And as I was considering about what I felt was so important to talk about in our last few weeks together, I kept coming to this idea of this is not it because there are so many things that are amazing about this community. As we have tried since the beginning of Mosaic, the Mosaic was never Andy's baby. It was never Andy's idea. It was the conception of a community of people. This has never been my church. This has been a church where I am one of many people. So over the next couple of weeks, I want us to bring back to the centrality of a couple things. Number one is for us to look at why we do what we do. 
why community is absolutely important to this church and to bring it back to the centrality of Christ. Because this is not it. And for the first conversation around this, I want you to take a look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Philippians stands apart from a lot of other letters of Paul. Uh, Most biblical scholars would argue um, that Paul um, writes a great deal about disunity in the church. Well, no big surprise, just read half of his letters, like, these people have some major problems. Um, But Philippians is is different. Um, When you look at some of the other issues, like Galatians, for example, or Corinthians, Paul uses some very strong language, some very harsh tones. He's really going at some folks, but when you come to Philippians, it's it's different. He's, He's mild. And gentle at best. And what that shows us is that Paul had a fondness for the church in Philippi. That Paul loved this church so much. So what does Paul have to say about beloved community? What well, says this in Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. My dear wife uh, married one of the most cynical men who've ever walked the face of the earth. Um, Imagine me watching a chick flick. It is the worst experience ever. I am a living Mystery Science Theater 3000 when it comes to watching chick flicks. I am a constant commentary of how predictable those movies are. She gets upset with me because in the first five minutes, I'll lean over and whisper exactly what's going to happen in the movie. And it happens exactly what's going to happen in the movie. I don't get warm and fuzzy movies. I don't get them. Uh, it just, it's just not part of my sense of humor. It's just not part of who I am. So um, God has a sense of humor that he gave me two daughters. So let the Disney princess movies and animal talking movies reign. Whoever created Air Bud has a special place reserved for them in heaven where they are mopping the floors constantly. Warm and fuzzy movies. The worst of all of them all the, are the Hallmark movies. And I know I just defended somebody in here. They're like, that's my, that's my movie. I DVR the entire channel day long. I would love to start an affinity group within Mosaic where we sit down and just give running commentary to Hallmark movies. Can we try that in the next couple weeks? Would anybody join me in that? That would be wonderful. So I don't, I don't, I'm not a warm and fuzzy kind of guy. When I think of warm and fuzzy, I think of the book of Philippians, the letter to Philippians. Think about what Paul is writing here. It just feels like one big hug and kiss fest going on in this letter. 
When Paul says things like, I thank God every time I remember you. When you compare that to the book of Galatians where Paul says things like, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of peace of God. Or, you foolish Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Or my favorite line from Galatians, why don't those agitators just go and circumcise, that want to circumcise themselves, go and castrate themselves fully. Philippians really does seem like a warm and fuzzy letter when you read it. In many of Paul's letters, he's writing in response to conflict. But in Philippians, it's one big bromance. It's this amazing love that he has for Philippians. I can't tell you how many times um, that I've been asked this question about um, how I feel about the work I've done within Mosaic. And for the last seven to eight years, I've been able to say... This has been the greatest joy of my life and vocational fulfillment. If I was to write a letter, it would be like the Philippian letter to you. Because I think about my love for you. I think about the times that we've shared together. I think about the way that we've lived life together. I, I love y'all. I love you so much. I love what we have shared in the work of Christ together. I love that we have shared life together. And even you allow me to be me, this cynical comic book dork driven to try new things kind of guy. I love being a part of this engaging and innovative church community that, that we live life well together, but we also have fun together. We, we get that church is about this beautiful, vibrant life together. We have an innovative culture through us that, that we learn and grow and are constantly trying to better what we do. We don't get stuck in old habits. We find new ways that God is at work within us. I love that our community is driven to grow the kingdom of God, not grow our little kingdom as a church. So if I was going to write a letter, it would be like Paul's letter to the Philippians. So what is the scripture lesson for us today? Do we stop right there? If you want a bromance letter, read Philippians. We're good to go. What can we learn from this? What's well, fascinating, when churches like Mosaic, churches that are healthy, churches that have dynamic community, churches that are growing disciples in Christ, churches that are engaging church community, it's all too easy to sit back on our laurels. It's all too easy to become apathetic and to just assume that all the things that have made Mosaic Mosaic will keep coming to us if we do not continue to try. So what I want us to consider is what we can learn from Philippians are quite a number of significant things that can teach us about the centrality of community and how we continue that moving forward. If you were an investor in 2007, there's two things you should have invested in according to business experts. Uh, augmented reality tech and medical marijuana. <laughs> okay, get these stats. I know that sounds crazy. According to Forbes, there was the fastest growing industry in 2007. Medical marijuana topped $10 billion in sales. We live in a world driven by numbers. Business and society and organizations functions on numbers. A successful business is typically defined by two things. Profit and a growing customer base. There are people who say that they, they want to satisfy their, their employees and satisfy their customers, but we really know it's to satisfy those who are on the board, the shareholders. Business is driven by statistics and data. A CEO of a major company recently said, I firmly believe that data-driven decisions making is the only one to run a company. It allows us to make fast, smart decisions to stay on top of the market and to make money. The number one question I am asked about Mosaic in the eight years that we have done what we do here is how many do we have in worship? How many do we have in worship? When 
when I was working in summer camps, it was how many teenagers gave their life to Jesus Christ this week. When I was in student ministry, it was how many did you have on Wednesday night? How many did you have at this event? When I was doing um, speaking-based ministry, it was how many people came down front for a worship service. When I was in the traditional church, it was how many were in Sunday school and how many were worship. I recently had someone tell me that they drove past Clayton Fitness on Sunday morning and they saw a whole lot more cars than they saw a couple weeks ago that we must be doing something right. The church has all too often fallen into the crutch that we define success by numbers. As if if the rear ends and the seats defines who we are as a church community. Do we quantify success in that type of way or is God inviting us to see success in a totally different format? So naturally, we turn to Jesus, who was all about numbers. Remember when Jesus did the uh, miracle? He asked the disciples to make sure he counted all the hands that went up when he did the invitation. The only time we see Jesus talking about numbers is we learn that there was 5,000 people who were there for the feeding, right? The miracle feeding. And outside of the book of Acts that tells us that the Lord added to their number daily those being saved, the Bible doesn't talk about numbers as a metric of success. So what do we define as success as a church community? Well, Jesus tells us through the parable of the separation of the sheep and goats to success is when we, we choose to love our neighbor as ourselves. when we see that someone is naked and clothe them. They're hungry and we feed them thirsty, needing shelter and give them shelter. Success in the kingdom of God is not driven by numbers, but is driven by a love for God and a love for others. As one author put it, instead of measuring success by numbers and quotas, what if we measure success by stories of how God is at work through various signs of the kingdom of God we see at work in our community? You see, Mosaic is distinct. We're a church community that doesn't define success by the number of rear ends of seats on Sunday morning, but we define success by the deep connectivity we have to each other in community, by our deep connectivity to, to God, by our deep connectivity to this great church community around us. All of these things matter in helping us propel ourselves forward into what Mosaic will become. Uh, there's a brilliant series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us. And it's a, uh, about some of the most revolutionary toys in history. And the first season included uh, Barbie and G.I. Joe, uh, He-Man, and Star Wars. The next season uh, will focus on Legos, Transformers, Hello Kitty, or as Aubriana would say, Hello Caddy, and Star Trek. In, in the Star Wars episode, which I watched... Um, four times. Um, They interviewed a psychologist who uh, teaches, get this, a course on Star Wars toy fetish. And the psychiatrist shared that one of the reasons that Star Wars toys continue to be so successful is it's a real and tangible way to be a part of a fantasy world. So in other words, you and I can't live into the world of Star Wars, but through our toys, we can. So when I'm playing with the Millennium Falcon as a kid, or also as an adult, I feel like I can be Han Solo flying the Millennium Falcon. For children and adults who were once children, the Kenner toy line of Star Wars was one of the most revolutionary toy lines that ever was created. It's a symbol of this inner imagination into a galaxy far, far away. You see, all too often the church falls into this consumer mentality. I think that's another thing we need to be wary of as we read this letter from from Paul to the Philippians. I have a pastor friend who recently had someone say to him when he was asking somebody to volunteer within the church and the person said, wait a second, 
Isn't that what we pay you for? You see, we live in a culture of the church commodity. It's no different than Amazon or a restaurant. The mindset is, I'm coming to you. I'm paying you for a service. You better do what you do and do it well. I might be present for a little while, but until you fulfill what I actually want you to, or after I get all that I need to get out of you, I'm just going to leave and go find the newest thing in town, the better thing in town. We should just face the growing perception that many churchgoers in America, faith is a consumer product where we shop for the best church, finding the best services, finding the best programs that fit into our needs so that we don't actually have to give of ourselves to make the dream of the church a reality. As one author put it, a growing number of people are disturbed by the values exhibited by the contemporary church. Worship has become entertainment. The church has become a shopping mall. And God has become a consumable product. As contemporary church has been captivated by the images and methods of consumer culture that has forfeited its sacred vocation to be countercultural agents of God's kingdom in this world. I think the church of the commodity raises serious questions. Are we interested in the idea of church? Or are we willing to immerse ourselves into the tangible experience of being in community together? That's what I read as I read this letter to the Philippians. You see, genuine community is an opportunity for us to enter into beautiful partnerships together. The church is not a consumer product where we take out what we need and don't give anything of ourselves. The church is an opportunity for us to partner together from the youngest to the wisest among us to make the church a reality. What did Paul say to the letter in Philippians? In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of what? Because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word used here is the Greek word koinonia. It means fellowship, church, or community. It's this idea that it's not just something that we do individually, but it's something that we do collectively as a church community. Paul is not saying, hey, consume, consume, consume. He's saying, give of yourself. Partner to make the church a reality. Stop and consider What role you play within this church community. Stop and consider what part you play in helping the dream of Mosaic become a reality. Stop and consider what part you need to play moving forward. Is the church that of a commodity? Or is the church a dynamic partnership that we have together? As I was mulling over these words of Paul, it kept coming back to me. I thank God in all my prayers for you for the partnership we have in the gospel from the first day until now. We always have this image of Paul as Paul is the person who puts everything together. Paul has all these amazing words, but the church became a reality in all these different places because Paul built partnerships. Paul empowered people. Paul found new ways to to generate the work of the kingdom of God because of the people in each of the contexts. What partnership do you play? I think of people like Daniel Smith, who, who for a year now has been going to the Welcome House without anybody knowing it within Mosaic to help them do plumbing there as he's able to. I think of people like Paige, who has been putting together our gathering spaces that we can come together to grow as a church community. 
I think of people like Caitlin and Mark and so many other parents who invest in the work of our students. I think of our worship team who's here at 845 every single Sunday morning to set up, to break down, to practice during the week, to help lead us in worship each week. I think of the setup crew who does the same. I think of our community group leaders. I think of so many of you who partner to make the work a reality. The church is a community of both give and take. Um, uh, Pretty much if you had asked um, anybody in my church growing up if they thought I would be a pastor one day, they literally would have laughed in your face. Um, Because I was that kid in church growing up. Um, I can remember I wasn't a hellion. Well, technically I am a hellion, but I'm not a hellion, okay? Pun intended. Yes, somebody got it. One one person. Um, (laughs) But I remember when I was a boy, um, I would sneak out of church and worship and I would go play in the playground. Or I can tell you every roof access in the church I grew up in because that's what I did when I was supposed to be in worship. I would sneak out of church and do that. You know, when we were told at the uh, RA lock-in that we weren't supposed to leave the building, who do you think took the dare to go into the cemetery at 2 a.m.? Yeah, I was that kid growing up. For some reason, I remember one time I was given permission to run the sound system during a business meeting at church, and they basically said, hit record, unmute, and mute a mic. That's it. Ten minutes into it, I'm bored out of my mind, and I'm playing with all the mics, and it gets that high-pitched squeal where everyone is, like, vomiting out of the sound that's in their ears. I remember one particular time, I wasn't doing it, but the kid next to me was sitting in the balcony in worship, flicking rubber bands off the balcony into the sanctuary. And I'll never forget the conversation. The deacon pulled us to the side and said, what are you doing? Do you have no respect for the church? We're doing serious stuff here. The church is serious business. How many of us grew up in a church like this? We're about boring worship. We're about, um, you know, I once heard somebody said that if, sorry, I once heard somebody said if, if heaven is anything like a Sunday morning worship service at your typical First Baptist Church, then that's not the heaven I want to go to. We, we're about too serious business oftentimes in the church. We, we're called to this great high calling of doing the work of the kingdom of God. But sometimes we get so serious about what we're doing that we fail to recognize that the church is supposed to be a dynamic community that lives life well together. And I, I believe that means having fun together. And one of the things that as I read this, this letter from the Philippians, uh, as, I, as I consider what Paul is writing in this context, it seemed to be a church community that was thriving and living life well together. And that doesn't take place when we just gather on a Sunday morning or occasionally for a community group or a gathering every once in a while. But genuine community, living life well, takes place day by day by day. In Paul's letter, he writes with so much joy and excitement and anticipation. The work of the kingdom of God is this serious matter, but we have fun in the process by living life well together. I dare you to find another church in Clayton that has as much fun as Mosaic does. From ladies' trips to guys' trips, from tubing down the river when we probably shouldn't be doing it, to PBR, to the new ladies' nights, to Friday, first Friday student gatherings, from community groups to organic relationships, we know how to enjoy life together. Paul is writing with such joy to this church in Philippi. The partnership they have together. Do you have joy? Do you have partnership in what we are doing here together? This is why this isn't it. 
Because Mosaic has this beautiful community that is thriving. The relationships here of interconnectedness. And if you're not sensing that connectedness together, reach out and find some connection. Take initiative. Do your part. Find ways to share meals with other people. Break bread with others. Have coffee with others. Go and do things you enjoy doing with other people within Mosaic. This is why connecting in like interest places is going to be so important in the next few weeks. Whether it's watching a favorite TV show or, or playing a pickup game of basketball or taking a brewery tour or relationships spark and thrive when we find common interests together. Therefore, I double dog dare you to not expect community to come to you. I double dog dare you to make community happen. I dare you to take initiative to build relationships with other people so that you have this experience as we see in the book of Philippians. Where there is joy and love and partnership. Where we hear Paul say, I take great joy in all my prayers for all of you. We want this summer and moving forward to be a place where people experience life together. That we find new connections, that we don't expect it to come to us, but we reach out and bridge those connections to make community a reality. I thank my God for Mosaic, for all of you, for our partnership in the gospel. But more importantly, I thank God for the community that we have together.